this changes the mindset of that teacher from being that the knower of all and it passes it along to the students to allow them to do that same thing. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to the next episode of Learning in Box. This is your host, Annalise Corbin. And as always, I am super excited to be back in the studio at WOSU with two amazing guests, two ladies that we are going to chat about what does it take to become a problem-based teacher, or better yet, a transdisciplinary problem-based teacher. Um, And so we're going to talk about what that means and what that journey looks like. Um, Joining us today are Mary Schneider. Mary is um, part of the Past Foundation's lab team. She is one of our school design coordinators uh, and comes to us from rural South Dakota. I've known Mary for, oh man, um, I don't know, nine years maybe. Nine years. And I first met Mary um, as a language arts teacher in a small rural community in South Dakota. And after many years of working with Mary in numerous capacities in everything from um, coaching and the the training and leveraging of other teachers, um, helping students discover STEM and opportunity in careers to coaching teachers in post-secondary embedded in a university program, and then most recently uh, relocated to finally come back to the mothership in Columbus, Ohio as part of our team. So welcome, Mary. Good to be here. And joining Mary is Erica Reeves. And Erica um, is a teacher at the Metro Early College High School. In particular, she is uh, the coordinator for the Metro's Early College Bodies Pathway Program. And we're going to let her explain to us a little bit about what that is. Um, But... Erica comes to us um, from from a a background in biology um, who came to teach her. So biology and biochemistry, I think you told me once. She is now leading an innovative pathway program, and she's also working on some alternative certifications within sort of a state with lots and lots of teachers are doing. And so taking advantage of an array of professional development programs, um, in particular, something at Past Foundation we call P3. And I'm going to let these two ladies sort of talk about what that is and how it impacts uh, your teaching. So Erica, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, Mary, let's let's start really quickly with you since we're going to talk about this thing called P3 and we haven't really talked about the way that PASS Foundation trains teachers, but we, we make reference to it frequently on the program. So this is really sort of the first time to sort of dig into the weeds of that. So what the heck is school design at PASS and what is it that you folks do? So school design is a way of integrating what what teachers do in the classroom, what students do in the classroom, and helping teachers get to the point where they can let their students drive the instruction, they can let their students drive what's going on in the classroom. P3 is a series of online courses. P3 stands for product, problems, projects, and products. 
And it's a set of online courses. We have P3 Applied, P3 Design, and P3 Delivery. And each of those integrates the teacher into creating coursework and learning about design thinking, learning about how to do a problem-based classroom while integrating all the different topic areas. We do a series of three to four weeks, depending upon which course you're in. P3 Applied is a three-week course that will allow for the students, the teachers, to listen to podcasts, integrate themselves in a message board, read material, develop some coursework. And then we meet once a week virtually where they get to share out their information. They get to talk to each other as professionals and they get to then practice what it is that they're learning in their own classrooms. So Erica, to sort of piggyback on that, before we actually kind of get into the nuts and the bolts of the work the two of you have been doing together, just give our listeners a bit of a sort of high-level overview of the bodies program. So we've we've had um, an episode or two that we've kind of dug into a lot of some of the components of Metro and its sort of original ideation. But tell us specifically about what it is that you are doing there so that we can then circle back around and understand why you're hanging out with Mary. So the bodies program was created to provide a rigorous early college programmatic option in biomedical sciences. It's for accelerated juniors and seniors, and the mission is to engage, challenge, and develop high-achieving young professionals through the exposure to the biomedical science field. And so this program is a partnership between Metro Early College High School and the Past Innovation Labs. And it's got, a, and like all of the pathway programs or those emerging workforce development programs that we talk about all the time on this program that are happening at the Past Innovation Lab, the bodies program that you lead really integrates a number, and it's almost more than I can fathom. And it changes from year to year of community partners, industry partners, career um, opportunities, and placement sites that students get to participate in, correct? Correct. Um, We work a lot with Ohio State to give them the opportunity to learn about the different biomedical pathways that they can go into because most students think, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. They don't think that, oh, I might be interested in radiology or integrative medicine or optometry or dentistry. So it just gives them the opportunity to further look into careers that are, that are biomedical science careers, finding their niche so that they can really look at where they're strong and where they can have their career and be successful. Um, and it's not just medical school. So, right. And, and, yeah. and to the point, you know, kids just have no idea what the breadth and depth of any career is. We talk about that all the time. I've got all kinds of industry guests that come on this program. And um, that is a common theme. I mean, we can almost every episode circle back around and say, yeah, and the kids just have no idea what's possible because they don't. They don't. And I mean, I'm a perfect example. I went to school. I got a degree in biology and biochemistry and thought, oh, I'm going to go to medical school. And then I didn't get into medical school. So then I had to make a decision. And uh, teaching was not something that... um, was on my, you know, my idea board. Mm-hmm. However, I love it because I get to, I get to teach the future biomedical science students, those people that are going to impact our our world. So let's talk about that a little bit because that's that's um it's pretty daunting responsibility. 
on some levels, right? So, um, and you know, and obviously the program that you're in is creative and it's innovative and it would have to be highly adaptable or it's not going to be successful from year to year. And that is one of the things that we've had the, Mary and I, the privilege of being able to watch that program sort of as it's, you know, become adaptable over time. But I want to dig a little bit into the idea as it relates to the way we think about this P3 program, if you will, Mary, because one of the requirements, um, I don't know that if I've mentioned this before on the program, but you know, for a teacher to come in and be a teacher in residence, um, and our school in residence partner is, is, is the metro schools, which are across the street physically for those who are not from this part of, of the country or, or part of the world. Um, so we are literally uh, across the street from the school itself, but we are not the school. This innovation lab is a specialized place um, that students have to sort of earn the right into. And every teacher, though, that comes to be an in-residence partner with us, um, part of that requirement is that they have to go through P3. Why do we do that, Mary? Hey, it's It's a good way for instructors to really dive deep into what not only what they're teaching, but to really change their insight as to how their students learn. Oftentimes as teachers, we, we deliver content and we deliver it in the best way we know how. And we believe that our students are truly learning the material. P3 allows those teachers to look at it not only from the teacher's perspective, but also from what is it that my students are learning and how are they learning? And sometimes that can be as simple as changing a question from how is this done to why is this done? Mm -hmm. It it opens up the door for the teacher then to give those students the freedom to look at what it is that they're actually learning and how they can apply it, how they can use it. So let's, let's dig in a little bit. So P3 applied. So mm-hmm. I want to I want to ultimately go through each one of these these sort of offerings and sort of understand what it is that you get for us. So so P3 applied in particular, Mary, it that one changes from time to time because it's topic specific and you we we've we we have shifted. We have modified ourselves, right? So P3 applied was not originally where we started. Correct. So yeah. so explain to us what is P3 Applied. And then, Erica, I'm going to tag you and we're going to talk about the experience. P3 Applied is all about design thinking. It's all about getting the teachers to think in that design cycle mindset. How does the mind work? How do we learn? It also brings in that aspect of community partners. How do we get those people who are outside of our classroom to be inside our classroom with our students? How do we get that expertise that is out there to be used in our classroom? And you're right, it's content specific in terms of we do aviation, we do smart mobility, we do connections and habitat. Um, we, well, what does that mean though? So give me an example. So connections and habitat, we really tie it to um, environmental type things. So we investigate poop. And we go out to waterways and we look at pollinators. We look at how the environment itself can be utilized within the content that they're already teaching in their classroom. So an English teacher can use a connections and habitat idea in their classroom and teach two different subjects at the same time. And they're just simply using that material in the material that they're already teaching. In an innovative way. Correct. So, so Erica, you've done P3 Applied more than once, I believe, right? 
Is that correct? Do it sort of? Just, just once in its full capacity, uh-huh. but um, different components at different times. Yeah. So it was nice to see it all come together. So, so tell us about what your, your, your experience with P3 applied then. So specifically from the sort of a practicing teacher in the classroom right now, uh, Mary used to be in the classroom and now, now she's teaching teachers. So uh, for, for you uh, being a teacher in, in the classroom, what was the thing that you got out of it? Why is it beneficial to you? So I was, I was thinking about it and this was the analogy I came up with. We have all these standards and these standards are like our backpack. But how do we know what to put in our backpack? So if we ask a question, like the question that I worked with as I was going through the classes, why do we need a laboratory? Um, my goal is, is that students learn um, basic laboratory skills, um, how to streak a plate for bacterial growth, how to pipette for a PCR lab. And so why are they important? And that allows me to use my backpack or my standard and then unpack it. Because when we ask students to pack for a trip, we say, okay, here's a suggested list of items to bring, but somebody that has short hair might need a comb and somebody that has long hair might need a brush. So it gives them the opportunity to have this overarching question and then peel it back in a way that is interesting to them. And and so then how does that translate into your actual practice? Well, it allows me to ask different questions. So how do I want them to find out about the importance of a lab or lab practices or the 21st century lab skills that I want my students to develop to be in the biomedical sciences? Um, it allows me to give some freedom to the students. Mm-hmm kind of what questions do they want to know about because I can let them unpack it in ways that are of interest to them so that everybody doesn't have to have exactly the same experience. And that's okay. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. I'm, I might want to look at it from a biochem aspect or somebody else wants to look at it from a microbiology aspect and somebody else might want to look at it cellularly. So I, I, I don't know, it makes me excited because I can meet the interest of the students um, with just, you know, with a general overarching question. Because All while meeting the standard you needed to teach to begin with. Right. Yeah. What it, what it does to a teacher is makes them uncomfortable mm. because they might not have all the answers. And... They might be developing skills right along with their students because, at least for me, I haven't done a lot of lab work since I was in college. You know, a little bit here, Mm -hmm. a little bit there, but I've spent the last five years in middle school, and I'm sorry, I'm not streaking plates with middle schoolers or letting them use expensive pipettes. I mean, that's not where I was at. Mm -hmm. So now that I have students that um, are ready for those kind of things, you know, they, they can do... They can do things differently than. So the thing that as as a teacher listening, and this is not 
just to be really clear, there's not a sales pitch around the past P3. We're utilizing it as an example of how we really change practice. That's really what our conversation today is about. And what are the different opportunities or exposures that teachers can find, either deliberately or because they stumble upon them that change practice? And so my question, Mary, is that Erica could have taught and probably did you know, um, teach how to streak a plate before. So what's different when you walk in and watch that lab, what's different now? The, the, the freedom she feels, the excitement she feels. No longer does she act like everything that has to be done in the classroom is completely on her shoulders. She she knows that in order for her students to get to the depth of level of understanding that she wants them to get to, she had to allow them to play in the content exactly like she did when she was finally going through probably college. And that's usually where we used to get all of this. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're thrown into a lab course or you're throwing into an English course and you're actually asked to do that real material. This changes the mindset of that teacher from being that the knower of all and it passes it along to the students to allow them to do that same thing. It's, it's like driving a car. You, you don't drive a car by reading a manual. You get behind the wheel and you give it a try. Unless you're Sheldon Cooper. You study it, right? <laughs> you study it really well until then. But this, it just changes that mindset. It creates the idea in the teacher's head that they don't have to know everything. They have to walk the walk with the student and they have to help that student get to their own understanding, make those own connections. So Erica, what's hard about that? Because I I spend, as you you well know, because I'm always lurking through the windows, right? So for, for folks who've not been there, the Innovation Lab is a series of glass box labs is what we call them. And they're based on the notion that in industry R&D, um, everybody has to be able to observe everything all the time, right? That's part of the R&D process. And so we, 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 we built these glass box and we said, voila, Erica, here you go. It's the body's lab. <laughs> so, so I get to lurk at, at Erica from outside a lot. Uh, sometimes go in, lurk inside too. But what's hard about this, Erica? It's hard to train the students to change their thinking mm. because they're used to, you just give it to us instead of, oh, I have to find it myself. Oh, I get to find it myself. How long does it take the kids to make the shift, to, to turn the corner? I think a lot of it depends on the student. Sure. There are some students that are naturally more curious than others and that curiosity hasn't been squashed. But for some of them, it takes a little bit of time. And I think, I think one of the big things that I have noticed is that stu- that we all are afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of rising above that. I have to get it right the first time, and it's okay to make mistakes. And the you know the greatest part of that is I get to learn from the mistakes. And having the students get to that point where they can just be at peace with that. Mm-hmm. And you can watch. I mean, it is a remarkable thing. I mean, you're living it every day. And, and I often will hear teachers say, oh, I didn't realize. And 
Mary and I have the advantage, I guess, if you will, because we're constantly looking in, right? We get to sort of see it with a slight bit of detachment. And and I, I wouldn't say that you could say, hey, you know, on Tuesday, the third week of September, right, we're going to see X suddenly happen. But we've been at it long enough to see the signs. So you can tell when a teacher, a classroom of students, and, you know, that endeavor is getting ready to, to make a shift. And, and they do, the kids do. And, and the first way, because um, I've been working with Erica, we've got a project we're actually doing together this past term. And so part of it's student comfort, like you said, right? They get used to something, right? You know, at, at the beginning of the semester, I would watch them come back to you repeatedly and ask the same question, thinking if I ask it enough times, she'll finally either tell me or she'll change the answer, right? You know, and eventually they stop doing that, right? And as, as, as an example, and there are other plateaus as well, um, you know, Mary. So as you think about the sort of telltale signs that not only has the practice of the teacher started to change, but the practice in the classroom is also changing. What what does that look or feel like to you? It's it's almost a shift from you have 20 students looking at a teacher, and now you have 20 students who are looking to each other. And you have 20 students who are asking very different questions rather than asking if this is what you want or does this look right. They're asking a more deep, a, a deeper question. They're, they're asking, where can I go next? What can I change now? What does this lead to? Oh, look at this. It's from sometimes from people looking outside in, it looks chaotic sometimes. <laughs> it looks like everybody's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. They're talking to each other. They're up and they're moving around. They're on their phones, calling people that they want to ask questions of. It, it looks more like a place of learning than our schools ever did. Mm-hmm. It does. I completely agree with you. And I, I have had many people saying, I, I can possibly teach like this, or this can't possibly <laughs> have learning happening. I'm like, oh, it's, it's epic learning that's going on. And it is, it's a level of controlled chaos. There's no question to some extent. I think that's a great way to sort of think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Erica, uh, before we move on and talk about, um, you know, P3 design, I, I want to, because that, that brings in a whole nother level of things that you're getting to do and sort of apply, you know, from the, from the teacher practical ways that you're thinking about your planning and your development. So before we shift into sort of that planning and development phase, the, what, what's, the, what's the biggest constraint from the application side? So you go, and I hear teachers say this all the time, I went, I did this great PD. Doesn't matter what it is, right? It could be about STEM, it could be design thinking, it could be basket weaving. I don't really care. Had a great experience. I loved it as a teacher. I learned so much, but I can't do this in my classroom. Or, you know, I'm not going to be allowed. Or, you know, I'll, it's Tuesday. I have to be on page 34 in my, you know, scripted curriculum guide. So, what 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 are the what are the constraints? The primary constraints that you find as sort of at that phase in your work that you even in an innovative place of, of teaching and learning that you bump up against because they're real. They're in every environment. Probably the first one is time. Mm-hmm. I, I have a benefit that I have my students 
usually for at least a three-hour segment. So it's unlike a teacher in a traditional school who may have 45 minutes or 50 minutes or even a block would be, what, an hour and 15 Mm -hmm. minutes or something like that. Um, So I think that time is a constraint. I think a lot of times teachers think they have to change everything Mm -hmm. right on the spot instead of taking those baby steps, a couple of small things that they're implementing and and it changes the student's thinking, it changes their behaviors, and it changes the way they're able to do things in their classrooms. So um, it's almost like changing procedures. And as you change the procedures and the students get used to it, then you're not practicing the procedures anymore. You're just doing them. And then they become a habit. Right, right. So I, I really think that that... That is a, I think, mm-hmm. is a big constraint for teachers thinking, oh, I would like to try this or I want to implement this, is that it doesn't have to be something that takes tons of time and it doesn't have to be something that's a heavy load. You just have to make a decision to change one thing and then it will allow, it's like the snowball, it will allow other things, mm-hmm. open the door for other aspects to be added in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Mary, that's a great segue. So let's talk about P3 design because in many ways it was set up specifically to help step one through. So tell us about P3 design. So P3 design really puts the planning section into the teacher's hands. They get to either plan a semester, two-week unit, um, a year-long unit, whatever they might want to do, but they're truly taking the curriculum that they have in the classroom and they are turning it into a problem-based approach as opposed to doing what they might have done before, which to Erica's point, that that time element kind of goes away once a, once a teacher starts doing an actual activity in their classroom. P3 design allows them to figure out that that time element isn't on top of their existing curriculum. This problem-based approach becomes their curriculum and it becomes what they're doing. So it's not over and above, it's part of. And then they start to figure out what standards are being touched. How are they aligning what they're doing? What projects are they doing? How are they doing the curriculum that they're doing in their classroom in a different way, looking at it in a different way? And that's both from. I want to be really clear with folks. So that is some schools or some teachers take an existing curriculum and they make the modification to turn it into a problem base. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we hope to get them to be transdisciplinary. (laughs) But but again, to Erica's point, was a really, really important Mm -hmm. one. And I tell people all the time, it is not all or nothing. And in fact, please don't do it that way because it will fail. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is small steps to get you where you're looking to be. And so... You can do that with existing programming, mm-hmm. right? We can teach you how to do that. Uh, you can utilize the design thinking, those systems approach and get yourself there. But you also, through through this particular program, get the opportunity, if you so are so inclined, you can create and develop entirely new. Correct. Right? So you have that option. So Erica, when you were working in P3 design, so tell us what you worked on. What, what, what was it that you did? So I have to go back to listen to... And I was listening to Mary talk about this. She's talking about the students doing, doing, mm-hmm. doing, doing, doing. Mm-hmm. They're always doing something instead of it just be the basic, I'm memorizing, I'm 
you know, they're analyzing, they're creating, they're doing those higher blooms that we, you know, we talk about in education. What did I do? So I, in bodies currently, we teach anatomy and it's coupled with the rotations that we talked about where they go to Ohio State or to community partners and learn about different careers in biomedical science. So currently we're teaching anatomy and we want to move away. Not that anatomy is not important, but we're making a prereq to our students that are coming into the program. And next year we're adding our course is going to be medical interventions. So mm. we're working with a professional from a high state who uh, is an engineer. And so we're adding in engineering components. So when I was talking about why is a laboratory important or why do we need laboratories uh, we're we're bringing in a lot of those innovation things mm-hmm. um, and interventions for our students to um, really integrate science terminology with engineering terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that um, this professional says is that we have doctors and those people that work in medicine and we have engineers. But we don't have somebody in the middle that can speak both of the languages. So it's really important to be giving students the opportunity to learn the languages on both sides. So maybe adding in a little bit of coding. One of the things we're thinking about is making um, a prosthetic Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. hand or arm or something like that, where the students are, they are able to apply the anatomy that they learned in the prereq course and bring it into this new course. So you know, the lab skills, the engineering, the prosthetics, those kind of things. All the modification. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then, Mary, how does that then um, sort of piggyback into the next P3? P3 delivery allows those teachers then to to really deliver that material in their course. So now they're, they're practicing it as they are involved in their own class. Yeah, and I actually see Erica do this because one of the things really intriguing to me is I asked somebody the other day uh, to to watch uh, somebody that we had on site um, for for a visit for two or three days, and I actually pointed out two of the labs, and I said I want you to watch these two labs every time you go by. I want you to think about whether or not you can tell, or is there a lecture happening? Tell me what's happening in that classroom, right? And so, um, and this was a three-day visit that this person was was around, and um, they said they couldn't figure out that you ever lectured to your kids. And I said, "Great, when? That's the win, right? That's exactly what I want to hear. Someone coming, you know, if I send them into any school that is really sort of making that transition into a problem-based environment." Is you know, it's the rare moment where I can truly, truly say I as the random stranger, fully understand what's happening in there. Because otherwise, it's a fully engaged, to your point, student doing, 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 um, you know, as it relates to how you're doing the instruction. And again, I want to circle back around on one of the earlier questions that I asked you, Erica, because it's critical to sort of watch and to see, but shifting to that real problem-based and you've been in it for a while, but I think it's been different this year. Correct. Right? I think I've heard you say that no, uh, numerous times. What, what is so different? 
Well, I've never been a, a heavy lecturer in general, mm-hmm. but you're right. If you come by the classroom, it's not really lecture, it's conversation. Mm-hmm. So giving the instructions are more of a conversation piece prior, just giving them the necessities that they need to be able to engage in the lab and bring an element of success without giving away all the secrets of the lab mm-hmm. or the secrets of the, of the activity. I think part of it is different because I have a different group of students and because they're juniors and seniors and not middle schoolers, there's a level of maturity that you see just naturally. Mm -hmm. But these students are so inquisitive. They are so engaged. And bringing back to the point of what changes after the course of, you know, as you start Mm -hmm. this problem-based and this this community, it, it's a community builder and they do rely on each other instead of relying on me. And so that, I mean, there is an, there is an element of absolute freedom in that, knowing that they will go to each other. It, it really runs like a business. Mm-hmm. They don't come, you don't go to the CEO every time you have a question. One would hope. Well, you would hope. You would hope, but it's it's nice that they have built a community of uh, communicators. They trust each other. They value each other's opinion. Um, they are collaborators, which I can't wait to see the PSA that's coming mm-hmm. out that they've been working on. And and they they really they they are a community of learners. It's not just a classroom with students. It's a community of engaged learners. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference. So Mary, you actually work with teachers in schools um, all over the country, taking them through the various P3 programs and everything from new programs to wild, crazy hair ideas and everything in between. And Mary has also spent a number of years training pre-service teachers at the university level as well. And so um, same question back to you. So practice changes as a result of, I would argue to some extent, one of the pieces we haven't talked about is we're really re-engineering an environment. So it's not just your teaching and the learning, but literally the environment shifts. And, And I think Erica's lab is a really great way for us to think about it because for our listeners, it she is not like a one to 12 ratio. How many kids are in the course that I come into? How many many kids are in that group? I have 37. 37 kids in advanced pathways doing a variety of different things. She's differentially instructing on the fly every moment, every day. And it is not just managed, but in many ways you don't have to manage it at all. No, they manage themselves because you set the expectations and you you give them the tools and the freedom to make the environment a success. So Mary, is that really the way it works? Is it that what is, you see? It is really the way it works. Yeah, I've, I've seen this work with even more, involved in more, right? We had, you know, upwards of 80 students that we were working with at one, at one time. It, it, it works that way because no longer are the students just simply sitting there waiting. They're, they're now involved in what it is that they're doing. They're driving the bus. You're, you're, you hold the license. You are figuring out where they're going. <laughs> you're telling them how soon they have to get there, but they're really driving the bus. 
And as soon as that occurs in the classroom, it, it truly is. I hate to go to that business because I'm I'm not a big equator of mm-hmm. business and education. But you don't sit around waiting for me to do stuff and make sure that I get it done. You expect me to get it done. And that's really what this does for our students is it allows them the freedom to get to their destination in the way they need to get to their destination in the time frame you tell them that they have to get there. And that really changes behavior. It changes outcomes. It changes everything about the way that student believes education is. Now they're in charge. And as soon as you give them that power, little bit of power that it is, it changes them that manner in the classroom. It does. It's remarkable and kind of fun to see. Um, and of course, you know, every, every teacher who goes down that journey does it a little bit differently. It's very individualized. And it takes on, to some extent, I would argue, the personality of that facilitator of learning, right? It truly does, right? So uh, absolutely no question. So one of the ways I always like to wrap this program is that, you know, what what's that thing? So I'm a, I, I often use the rural teacher um, just channeling my inner Mary Schneider here. Um, but, you know, so I'm this this teacher listening or I'm this community saying, gosh, I really, we want programs like that to come here. Um, or I'm, I'm a workplace. Like, I want those, those, those young adults to actually become my employees, right? What's the thing I need to know, Erica, from a from the teacher perspective or something that you wish you had known as you started that journey, um, I always try to leave folks with sort of that high lob. So if you're going to do this, this is what you need to know. Don't be afraid to ask because as much as you want partners to work with you or you want the kids to take ownership, the answer is always no if you don't ask. Mm-hmm. So, you know, asking the community partners to be involved or um, asking student parents, like the parents of the students are more than what more than willing to get involved. Um, and they know people and they know people. It's a net it really is a networking opportunity. And everybody wins. The teacher wins, the community partners win, the students win. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I have gained from this is, you know, just changing your thinking and and not being afraid to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, what what would you leave folks with, having been on multiple sides, actually, of this question? Uh, What I used to tell my pre-service teachers, take a leap of faith. Trust that you know what's best for your students and that they know what's best for them and that together you'll get to where you need to get. And do it over and over again. Absolutely. Don't give up. Do not give up. Do it again. It doesn't work. Try it again. Modify it. Doesn't work then. Try it again and modify it. And eventually pick up the phone and call you. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies, very much. Uh, We appreciate you making uh, time for us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.